Welcome to To Be A Terrier, Stephen Chicken here, joined by a sighing David Hartrick. We do a lot of sign on this podcast, people have pointed this out. And in our private lives. <laughs> yeah, it's just talking to each other that does it, the sight of each other, it's wistful rather than pained, I would say. How are you doing, David Hartrick? Yes, all good, mate, all good, how are you? Yes, I am very well, thank you. Hull City, nil, Huddersfield Town, Uno, that's Spanish for one. I thought it was Spanish for card game. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it, it was one of those games where it was just all about the result, wasn't it? The performance. Yeah. We're here on a podcast about to analyse a performance and the performance didn't really matter as long as they got three points. Yeah, after the, the two games they'd just had going into the international break, well, three games they'd just had really going into the international break, they needed the three points on the board, not just for, obviously you need them for the league table at this stage of the season, but also... Carlos Goldbrenner talked about how sort of psychologically, emotionally damaging that draw against West Brom had been, and we saw how tired and leggy they looked against Millwall and Bournemouth. So important for them to get those three points on the board, not to mention they've got three very tough fixtures in case we hadn't written it 427 times in our various pieces <laughs> over the weekend as well. They've got three very tough fixtures on paper coming up uh, over sort of either side of Easter. So Really, really important they got the three points. I mean, we'll start with the, the first half, go chronologically, why not? And I think it wasn't the best showing from Huddersfield Town, was it, while it was 11 versus 11? No, no. It was it was a funny half, actually. I thought Town looked nervy. I thought Hull, um, Hull sensed they could get something at one point, I think, and, and mm-hmm. pushed on a bit. And it was a bit... I don't know. I, the game was just strangely flat, you know. Like Hull have it was got very ver- bitty. There was no yeah. rhythm to it at all, was there? Yeah, and I don't, I don't either. I don't think that was by design either. I don't think Hull were trying to, you know, using that as their tactic to stop Town getting into any rhythm or anything. It was just, just one of those games, really. And it was, it, it needed something to happen. And like the red card was was the thing it needed really to change the pattern of the game or I could have seen that petering out second half into a draw um so yeah it was wasn't a great first 45 minutes was it it wasn't and we should talk about the penalty decisions that town didn't get because you wrote an excellent piece Dave on on Saturday about how I think we and it's not just town fans. I, I, I moonlighted at the weekend. I went to Coventry to do Coventry versus Blackburn as, as cover for another site. And I can tell you that both sets of fans there were also talking about the referee, not to mention Tony Mowbray, who had a, a proper rant about it. But um, I think we have a tendency to look at the officials and look at those marginal decisions more than we look at what the two sides have have yeah. actually done. I think Hull were unhappy with the red card. I think ridiculously so in in my case. And by that, I mean their fans, not their manager, who had no issue with it at all, to be fair to him. But uh, Town were also aggrieved at not getting those penalty shouts. Do you, do you think sort of the, the talk of the, about officiating has gone a bit far now, Dave? Yeah, I do. I do. I, I, I wrote the piece because, like, Town won 1-0 and it still felt like that, all a lot of people wanted to talk about was the refereeing and that just feels crazy to me and I think you have to you have to understand that if you are it's gone by on the point of just having a moan over a pint in a pub it's online it's 
in all the discourse around the game basically and i think you have to accept that if you are part of that then you're also asking for var there's no in between because if you're saying the refereeing is is absolutely appalling i don't think the issue is that the referees have got any worse i think the issue is that the game is just so much quicker players mm-hmm. are better standards are higher the first one I pointed out, the first half you're talking about, the the big issue there is that the referee is in the right position on the pitch because he has to be able to see what's happening over on that side where the cross comes in from and he has to have a sort of a, as big a view of the penalty area as he possibly can. The handball so is this? Yeah. Oh, no, so this the, is the, the push, is it? No, this is the handball. This right. is the handball. So he's in the right position. But at real time, at real speed from that angle, he cannot see that ball hit the hand. It looks like a diving header. So his linesman's got to come into play there. But Jordan Rhodes has made a clever run, peeled around the back, and he's completely blocked the linesman's view. So if you're going to say that's absolutely ridiculous, I completely understand that it was a clear-cut penalty. But the only way you're going to get that in that situation is VAR. So you have to then ask yourself... Is VAR what you want? If it's not, it. then I'm afraid you, you've got to have to take some of these decisions on the chin. And like Town of... of <laughs> you, you only ever remember the times, the, the injustices against your side. And I think Town have had the Sheffield United goal and they've had a couple of others, but... The West Brom penalty. Yeah, the, the obviously the Sorba Thomas penalty, etc. But they've also had the... the the Preston away game where Tom Lees could have given away two penalties. They've had the Josh Caroma red card that wasn't given that he then goes on and scores 10 minutes later. Against Stoke, yeah. Against Stoke, yeah. They've had another Tom Lees penalty in that game, which was as, as penalty a penalty as I've ever seen in my life <laughs> that wasn't given. Town have benefited. Town, it's it's cost Town in other games. I, I just... I think when you win and when you get the right result, even when you don't, you have to accept that the referees are going to make mistakes. It just seems to be that the focus now is entirely on the referees' mistakes. And I'm not, I'm not, this isn't a dig at Towns fan base, it's a dig at the media as well, Steve, which we're part of. Oh, yeah. And that's what I yeah. mentioned in the piece. The problem is you, when you're looking at the pundit lines on Sky and all they're talking about is, is the penalty claims and, you know, Michael Heffley saying that the referees should have to have to come out and say what they saw and all this sort of thing. The problem is when they're asked and they give a line that is newsworthy or noteworthy, we have to report it whether we like it or not and it's just a bit of a vicious cycle. Yeah, I think it mostly comes from sort of not to take uh, the pressure off ourselves or sort of, you know, say that we in print are not also guilty of it because we are. As you say, you wrote that piece on Saturday saying Mm. we don't want to see talk about officials in the headlines. We want to see headlines about town's promotion prospects and then the next day obviously we have two lines two headlines about the officiating decisions so it's uh market forces neither, unfortunately. neither written by us i should point out. <laughs> but um it's market forces i completely understand why you know why we run those things because people read them um but i mean the handball i didn't think looked a hand i didn't spot a handball inside the ground admittedly at hull we're right at the back of the the mm. big the big stand that side on where we couldn't be further away from the action it must be one of the highest press boxes in the country um but i didn't spot a handball i must be honest and the roads the push on roads i mean he didn't seem to protest at all so no i the the push on roads i think 
it's one of them. It's like I've I've seen them. Don't get me wrong. I've seen them given. I'm not saying there was nothing there, but I do think it's one of them that if you give that one as a referee, you are now setting yourself up because you're then going to have to look at every single corner, every single three kick, every single ball into the box, every single coming together because it, it is a bit. <laughs> I've seen them given, but I completely understand why that one wasn't, put it that way. And I haven't seen the one that was allegedly outside the box. Was that inside? Yeah, that was inside. And, you know, I made it clear in the piece that I can't I can't defend that. As much as I can defend the first one mm. and say, look, you know, the only way to sort that is VAR, the referee, Jeremy Simpson, is in a good position to spot that. So... But things are different at ground level. Obviously, every angle you you see on TV and even every angle you see in the ground is is different. And yeah, again, it's difficult to it, it's difficult to say anything other than it was a penalty. But again, how do you sort that out? Clear and obvious error. VAR. Now, mm. if you get VAR in the game, I think you have to understand all that comes with VAR, which is the the emotion being drawn from a lot of like key moments and you know do do you want a hundred percent correctness <laughs> correctness in every game or do you want to have a quick moan about something over a pint in the pub and then just all move on because what it doesn't feel like at the moment is like people are moving on it feels like refereeing decisions have become, you know there, there's people who will genuinely say that it's the refereeing decision for Sorber Thomas's penalty that meant they lost the games to Millwall and Bournemouth yeah like it totally forgets that Town completely lost their discipline in the the five minutes after that penalty was given and conceded the equaliser which they didn't have to do they could have been professional and seen it out and they lost the game at Millwall because Millwall were excellent on the night and they lost the game against Bournemouth because Bournemouth are really really good they're a £76 million plus first 11 and a £100 million plus squad this is what I mean this is where we all have to go okay you didn't get it but you move on. We go again, as a Liverpool captain yeah. once said. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And we've just sort of spent seven minutes talking about it, so I suppose we're, <laughs> we're as bad as anyone. Mm. But I'm sort of, you know, your our other podcast, Football Fives, we'll, we'll do an episode one day. <laughs> um, you know, I wrote in years ago saying, do we talk too much about referees? So this has been a bugbear in mind for years. It's not just having it, a pop at sound fans in particular. Yeah, and you need to understand where it's coming from. It's coming from Talk Sport, BT Sport, Match of the Day, Sky Sports. Yeah, They have to have something to talk about in the studio. But it almost feels like the balance has tipped where they would rather talk about refereeing decisions than a really... Ta- close chance or a decent passage of player yeah, exactly. a goal you know which is is crazy absolutely crazy and again the refereeing decision should be one facet a, a really small facet of the entire game and it just feels we've, we've built them up and built them up and the other thing is nobody ever goes do you know what they make i think it i think it was on average a couple of years ago they make something like 110 decisions in a game and if you get 100 five right that's still a very good average if you get 109 right that's still pretty good isn't it <laughs> yeah it's it, yeah a bit, and if the five happen to be controversial or you mm. know then it's, it's like goalkeeping error it's yeah, goalkeeping it is. error isn't it goalkeeper plays brilliantly and then lets one through his legs and everybody says he was absolute garbage things happen don't they exactly mm. Anyway, having spent that time talking about the officials, we will talk about the performance ourselves. And I thought I was probably a bit more down on it 
immediately after the game than I was sort of reflecting on it. Uh, I didn't didn't take me long to sort of change my mind, and it was talking to Carlos Corbrand really that that did make me think. Actually, yeah, do you know what they did their jobs there uh, quite well because they were getting nothing through the middle. The, the midfield was anonymous again. You highlighted the midfield issue mm. uh, last time round in the Q and A, and we we wrote that up on the site as well. If you want to go back and have a, a look at that rather than listen, but uh, you know that I, I thought. They they really struggled to get the play going from the back. For the first sort of twenty minutes, I was wondering why is Levi Colwell playing like Steven Gerrard for England and looking for <laughs> sixty yard balls all the time. And then sort of the more you watch, the more you realise oh, it's because he's got <laughs> nothing else to go for. So he's just yeah. going for it because it's what else does he do? And about half an hour in, he's you know started questioning his teammates, saying I've got no one to pass to here. You need to make yourselves available. Worst culprit for that was was John Russell who. Hull put two men on him. The two wingers sort of came inside and sort of stood either side of him. But he didn't particularly sort of, you know, go out of his way to to move away from them or try and create space for himself. O'Brien and Holmes, and I've sympathy for Holmes, by the way. I've seen people criticising Dwayne Holmes, but Dwayne Holmes was playing centre-forward off the ball, midfield on it. So he was constantly coming back from a forward position to, to, you know, whenever Town got on the ball. And I think that sort of limited his availability. Um, but Lewis O'Brien sort of started dropping deep early on. It almost looked 4-2-3-1 at times, but then sort of started pushing further and further up. And that was, you ended up with the issue sort of getting worse and worse throughout the half as a result, because there was just, it was very difficult for Town to play out from the back. <laughs> I mean, before we move on from what they did second half, do, do you have any observations on that, Dave, or how they might be able to fix it? I, I think I think you've possibly got to look at changing and something and getting Iting in there because I think the problem with Russell is his lack of pace is it's quite easy for analysts to recommend things on. You either put a runner next to him, which which takes him out of the game, um, or you do what Hull did and get people around him either side and then he's he's afraid of going being too high and yet he doesn't want to drop too deep so he ends up a little bit in no man's land and most of the time not available as a pass yeah and it's not not a position he's played you know we're not saying John Russell's awful it's just you know it's a position he's not played he's played there what once or twice the first team before young we've talked before about he's a young player learning his craft so we're not getting on at John Russell saying no he's useless bobbing out but but like experience gives you it gives you solutions doesn't it experience gives you answers when you you are are struggling to get a foothold in a game or make an impact in a game you go and try something different or do something different and it would be fair to say that I don't think Russell has got that in his locker yet Um, but that only comes from playing it's a little bit I think you could level the exact same criticism against Scott High earlier this season and the the issue is that they're only going to get them from playing and learning and it is a learning curve so but I think like Iting at the moment looks a better option to get a passer into midfield particularly I think in a 4-4-2 you could really do with a passer in the middle because you you have those moments in the game where you have four players ahead of you um, and you want somebody who can pick them out. And, uh, yeah, I think you don't want to take anything out of Lewis's game. You just want Lewis O'Brien to be Lewis O'Brien. So you need to do something with the other midfielder is the thing. And I I, I do think you can probably trust that back four now to play as a yeah. four without having Hogg as a, you know, as, as a shield in front of them. So I think you could try an O'Brien Iting too and just although it does leave you slightly exposed in behind, um, I think you, you could probably try it and uh, particularly against certain sides and 
get a slightly different result. The thing is, I think one of the big issues was the, the sending off. It changed the game in that it gave it a bit of interest and it gave it a different... It gave it a different angle, but it didn't change the the game for town significantly because it was a striker who got sent off. <laughs> so they still had the same problem up at the other end of the pitch. It's not like losing a key centre half or something mm-hmm. like that. So yeah, it was. But I, you know, there's absolutely no denying town deserved the win. They were knocking on the no. door second half, and they were. Uh, I I thought they were good. They they. That last, they had a half an hour spell in that second half where I thought they it was a near perfect example of how to play against ten men in the championship, and that's just keep the ball going, keep the pressure high, and keep pushing, and got their reward in the end. Yeah, I mean, I actually rare disagreement between the two of us. I don't particularly like a midfield two for Town at the moment. I think I would stick with a three, but I might be more tempted to go with an out and out three. And I think part of the issue they had was. I think he wanted Dwayne Holmes pushing up to help Jordan Rhodes with the press because we know that's not his game. I think I wonder if he might have gone with a more outright four-three-three if Danny Ward had been available. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I know people were questioning why I gave Holmes a high rating. I thought his work off the ball was was better than on it. I don't think he was much good on the ball in truth, but you know, off the ball, I thought he he did as well as he could. As I say, considering he was effectively playing two positions in that game and. I think it's worth looking at the the four three three longer term because, um, well, spoilers for a piece I'm going to be writing, but I've looked at sort of the town's points per game and xG per game and so on in all the different shapes they've played, and four three three is looking like their best best option at the moment, closely mm. followed by the four four two. In fairness, so perhaps perhaps we're both right, Dave. But it depends on the opposition, to be fair as well. I mean, speaking with the, speaking of the back four, and we'll we will move on to the second half in a moment. But were you surprised to see Matty Pearson not in the not on the team sheet? I, I think, well, yeah, no. I think he's been in his best form. I think he's been brilliant, Matty Pearson. But the thing is that Carlos wants the left and right footer there. That's yeah. what it all comes down to. Um, Putting Colwell on for Leeds at half time against Bournemouth felt like a hey, right. That's it. I'm playing a right yeah. from now on. Yeah. And I think the thing about Lees is like Lees has been super consistent across the mm-hmm. whole season. He's had a couple of dips. Um, he had a couple of games where he looked well off it, but he's immediately got himself back together and and you know looks mm-hmm. like Tom Lees again. So I suspect you know that little bit of age, that little bit of experience, and that little bit more uh, calm on the ball more than anything. Yeah. Um, is He's better on the ball than Pearson, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, is, is what makes that decision. And the reason that Corbyn likes the left and right footer is because it allows them to build the play better from the back four. He wants either to be able to play the, the out ball better, uh, either quicker or just pick it better over sort of 30 yards. So he wants that left-right foot balance. So Tom Lees is always going to win that foot race against Matty Pearson. But I think... Pearson, to be fair, has still got a, a big role to play before this season's ended, um, and he's uh, horses for courses, isn't it? Because I, yeah, I, it is. I think certain games they are going to have to look at a three again because there's certain games that if if they're going to get over the line, they really have to set out not to lose and then try to win as a bonus from there. And you I think a borough away by any chance. Yeah, so I think the three at the back, you, you, that's your sort of default starting uh, formation for those games. Yeah, 
Yeah, quite agree on all of that, to be honest. I think Pearson was the form player going in, but I think on paper, from a standing start, you would go for Lee. So, you know, you would have had no objection either way, really. I think it's a it's a very, very strong mm. position for town. But second half, the, the difference they made was uh, the change they made. Corbrand, I thought, was quite astute. He, he, he just thought, right, let's just go for crosses. He, he identified that Silver Thomas was getting in a lot up the right. I thought his deliveries, both from set pieces and open play, were, were pretty poor first half, to, in, in truth, mm-hmm. but he was better second half. And Harry Toffolo had tons of space on the left-hand side, as he as he sometimes does. And I think, go on. Silver Thomas looks tired to me. He looks yeah. tired. Um, okay. He looked tired before the international break, and then he's been away. He's played a little bit of football, but obviously training throughout, he, he looks... I mean, that's not a criticism. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, that yeah. is not a criticism. He's just played so much football this season. He has played yeah. all of the football. Has he still got most minutes for town or has Nichols gone past him? No, he's still got the most. He's played. He's the only player who's played in every single game. He's not started every game, but he's played. He's at least come off the bench uh, when he's not started in every yeah. game. So. so it's completely understandable. But then... <sighs> Like you cut you, it's really tough to drop him when he can still. You know he's still got a moment, yeah. a magic in him, and he's when it, when he does find his radar on those corners and those those dead balls, it's just absolutely pinpoint, absolutely sensational. So, but there's there's a man who needs needs a nice holiday this summer. I was about to say, like, we know a few players went away the first couple of days of the international mm. break. You know, we know a couple of them went to Disneyland, etc. But I think Sorba Thomas won't have had the opportunity to do that, I assume. No. I think he will have gone straight to Wales. So I, I wouldn't be, this isn't, I haven't asked the question actually, I will do after we get off, but um, I wouldn't be hugely surprised if they said to Sorba Thomas, right, you can have a couple of days off this week. Mm. Uh, even, even if he stays sort of in, you know, nearby, have a couple of days off training and uh, because the next game is on Monday, so they can afford mm. to do it maybe. But yeah, I wonder if, the other thing is, I wonder whether Corbrand might have been going into that game thinking, I'll take Silver Thomas off after 70 minutes if I can. And then, yeah. obviously, didn't get yeah. the opportunity to because they needed, they needed him on the pitch to get the mm. goal. So, yeah. Um, but they, they were look, looking up the flanks. They created loads of chances. Their XG was the highest they've had since the Reading game back in August. Their expected goal difference is the best since that game as well. It's their best away XG since they played Bristol City uh, in January 2021. So, again, they lost, weirdly. But you can't really argue with those numbers other than to say their finishing wasn't great. And they missed Danny Ward, didn't they? Yeah, I, like I, some people are a bit higher on, on a couple of players' performance, I think, than we were. And some people were a bit lower on a few players' performances yeah. than we were. And I think Jordan Rhodes got quite a bit of stick from quite a few people I saw on social media I it's it was a difficult game the the problem is Danny Ward has been so good this season that the first issue anybody in that role has is that they're not Danny Ward it's a really because he's been so good and because he plays it so specifically and because like I think we said in the last podcast he is the perfect player to play in that system under Carlos Corbran. It's just so difficult for anyone to play as a striker. It 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 really is. I think they can get somebody in over the summer who can do a, a much better cover version than Jordan Jordan Rhodes can, but he just can't do what Ward's can at this stage, can he? No, agreed. And you know, I think he he looked like a player who has made all of four starts since he came back from his back yeah. injury. Um, so I, the thing is, I don't think he did anything wrong. 
It's just he can't impose. We're used to Danny Ward one way or another imposing himself on a on a back three or a back four because that's what he does really really well. He doesn't give anybody a chance to settle. He's just well, it, it, having Danny Ward up front is like playing with a bag of wasps up front, isn't it? That's the thing, and it it works superbly well for them. Jordan Rhodes is not a bag of wasps. That's the thing. He's he has he, he's at a stage of his career where he just can't do that without having to come off at half time. <laughs> and it was never his game anyway, really. No, was it? no, he's a finisher. Uh, he's a finisher. He's a front, to go, you know, face to goal finisher. I I'll be honest. I thought he was really quite poor, but um, I, I thought he never quite got his eye in front of goal. But I think you can again, you can put that down to the fact he's had so few minutes this season. I I can I can forgive him that bit of rustiness in front of goal and what he does off the ball again it's it's just not his natural game and he was asked to do a role that he's not really equipped to do unfortunately and you know hence they put they put Holmes up alongside him just to help with that work off the ball so yeah I, obviously Danny Ward it was illness so hopefully he'll be back for the next game you would you would think same with Jonathan Hogg so I think that's that's a positive. They got the goal. It was a set piece in the end. Danel Sonani was the one who, who came on. And <laughs> it made me laugh the, looking at the, the fans' ratings, not to get mm-hmm. too hung up on it. But you had Lee Nichols, who had barely a save to make all game. And the fans gave him a 7.4. And you had Danel Sonani, who came on very late on with one job to do, really, which is just provide a bit more variety on the set pieces and the crosses he puts in the set piece from which they score and the fans give him a 5.4 which mm. seems a bit harsh to me but I, uh, I think the argument just, is though that Nichols might not have had a save to make but everything he did he did oh yeah like, I'm not saying Nichols had a bad game at all but no it's just it seemed a bit odd to me it's just you sort of you give him you give Lee Nichols a seven or eight out of ten without actually watching the game, don't you? Yeah, you just you go, do. yeah, right. So if I've not watched the game, seven out of ten, fine. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it was a, a great, great set piece delivery, and you know, Town obviously they had a huge, huge number of set piece goals at the start of the season. It was disproportionate the number of set piece goals they had, and we knew they were never going to be able to maintain that level of form over the whole season. Otherwise, they would have scored about. 35 set piece goals this season which I don't think anyone has ever done but you know that was their 16th set piece goal of the season and you know that's level with Fulham uh, so they're the two best sides in the division on those dead balls it's such a big important weapon for town this season it's good to see that that's continued you're a big important weapon uh, yeah. yes yeah they've got their mojo back on set pieces I think and it was it was really well deserved at the point at that time of oh, the game because they've been really good Corbyn have made the right changes and it was coming you know it, re- it really was coming and I think Danel Sonani is a <laughs> He's a player, I think, probably in the end of season roundup, we, we're probably going to have a little bit of a back and forth on because, like, some of the aspects of what he brings are like really, really good and really positive. So there's there's the defensive record you noticed about mm-hmm. the amount of goals Town concede with him on and off the pitch, which is is vastly different. And his set piece delivery is really, really good. And he also plays as a, a second striker, I think, probably better than most people. But he is a second striker. He's not like he tends. He doesn't tend to play as sort of a false ten or an inverted winger. If he's in that role, he tends to be close to Ward. 
So, I don't know, he's a funny player, Daniel Sterling. I can honestly say you've seen him, he's made, what, 32 appearances, 33 appearances this season, something like that? 35, in fact. 35 appearances, and I still don't know what I think about him, genuinely. He's, the thing I noticed recently, and I can't remember if we've said this on a podcast before or not, I've definitely put it in a piece, five of his six goals and two of his three assists before Hull were all... And in fact, it would be three out of four now. You count sort of the time from when he came on to the assist. Mm. They've all been in the fir- his first sort of fifteen minutes on mm. the pitch. Um, he tends to either make an Im- instant impact on a game or no impact at all. I think mm. is is the best way of putting it. Um, yeah, a very strange player. Um, very difficult to assess. I think for for exactly that reason. I suppose he didn't actually. It wasn't actually an assist either, was it? Because it was headed, saved, and no, then tough no. But in, it but was it was a terrific ball in in, in spirit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a terrific ball in. But yeah, I we'll 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 save it for the summer. But at some point, we're going to have to answer the question about whether you would actually pay the money for him. That I think it depends how much money it is, doesn't it? Really? Yeah. And I, I, do you know, genuinely, I think we can both make very convincing arguments for and very convincing arguments against. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, three points in the end and back up to third for now. Uh, obviously, there's there's a load of midweek games coming. A lot of the games in hand are getting made up uh, over the midweek, sort of Tuesday and, and Wednesday night this week. So there'll be less talk, not no talk, but there'll be less talk of false positions and try to work out points per game and, you know, games in hand and all of these things, which is good. And you'd again, we always say it's a cliche, but for a reason, you'd rather have the points in the back than, than games in hand. So Town third ahead of Luton Town, who play Peterborough on Tuesday night. They're the only team that can catch them in these midweek fixtures, but there's other teams further back, you know, Forest and, and Borough, who have extra games in hand, could still overtake them. But they're in a good position at the moment. We, we think they, in all but sort of the most freak seasons, and not to say this won't be a freak season when you look at how congested the, the sort of the top 10 is, but 75 points would normally be enough, which means they probably need nine more points. And from six games, even with the next three being quite tough, that should be within their means, you would think. You'd hope so, but like context change and pressures yeah. change, and I think the next three games are the season-defining games, really. Yeah, um, and it's not just the games themselves; it's the fact they come in eight days. It, it's gonna having a run like that really puts your head in a certain place at the end. If if Town get through and they've done really well, say Dream Scenario, they've taken seven or nine points out of those three games, they're going to hit the playoffs one way or another absolutely buzzing, absolutely buzzing. If, you know, worst case scenario, they lose all three, suddenly it starts to feel like it's slipping away and the pressure going three into the, three. Yeah. the pressure going into the Cov game, etc. just ranks up. So it's... I mean it's a cliche but there's just so much football to be played before the end of the season and I I still I still think Town can do it you know Bristol last day of the season is a good game Barnsley at home is a good game Coventry away who are likely to have nothing to play for they're not the same Coventry right now that they were when they came to the John Smiths it's not a bad game put it that it's you know it's not a perfect scenario but they're a good side and they have good players. But yeah, it could be worse. There's a reason Town are where they are and Coventry are where they are. So it's just these three games, and it's the Luton game is huge. 
it's huge. We both really like Luton. We've been Luton mm. boosters for about feels like for about three years now, Steve. That's that's a difficult one. The QPR game, they could have a new manager. Has he been? The Daily Mail were reporting that he was going to be sacked today on the day we're recording this pod, I think. But I haven't seen anything myself. No, no news yet. No news yet on that. So. No idea how that pans out, because if they're going to sack him at this point of the season, you would have thought they must be sacking him with somebody else lined up, because otherwise, what's the point? You know, if you're going to play with a caretaker anyway, what on earth would be the point of... And to be honest, I know they won't see it this way, but I think if they they play Sheffield United on Tuesday, which is a nice fixture for town, but it's sort of mixed feelings, isn't it? Because I think if QPR don't win that, then I think probably that's effectively their season over mm. um particularly if they then don't get a result against preston but then <laughs> i don't know maybe a draw would be the best result in that one i suppose yeah and then the borough away game which is is huge mm. uh, you know middle excellent at home as well yeah they're a really good side so it's really really difficult to say it, i i still think town have got enough in the tank i think it Personally, I think it might be a bit lower than 75. I think possibly they could get another seven points and get in there because I think there's a little bit of cannibalising to be done between the sides yet. Um, and they're not all going to win every game ultimately, are they? So, But yeah, it's it's huge eight days coming up, isn't it? Just massive. Yeah, massive, massive. Set of three games there, really. Uh, forgot how to talk there for a moment. I'm sorry. We about should that. we should probably rather than sitting on the fence, we should probably do some sort of predictions. Really. Yeah. So I wrote a piece this morning just talking about looking at the weekend's results and how each team's done and what games they've got left and how the playoff picture looks. And I think having watched Blackburn on Saturday, they were a weird team that they were really really poor in the first half as they have been for a long time but they've had Brereton Diaz out and he's such a massive miss for them not to mention Bradley Dack's been out for a year and and had just recently started to come back he's made a few sub appearances the pair of them came off the bench at halftime Brereton Diaz's first game back and they looked like a completely different side but they still ended up drawing (laughs) so they're in really poor form at the moment I I think they're going to drop off I think QPR are in real sort of trouble on that front as well. That their, their forms were dreadful. Sheffield United lost as well, so they they're, they're uh, an odd side, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they they should be third. There should be three teams competing for the title. When you look mm. at Sheffield United's first eleven and their squad, it really goes to show how poor they've been at times this season. Yeah, their away record at the moment is awful. Um, they've you know that they're. Um, away from home they've they've not won any of the last five so yeah they're really struggling they've got injuries to be fair to them but you know probably so is everyone you yeah. would say um and it's how you deal with them so I'm, I'm sort of 50 50 on sheffield united we like luton as we talked about i think they're going to get in borough similar to blades their away form was the big issue but they've won back-to-back away games for the first time this season now admittedly at the weekend it was against peterborough and i'm fairly sure you could take your five-a-side team to Peterborough and get a win at the moment. No disrespect to Town who drew there. That was back in November. And it's uh, worth saying we're very, very good, our five-a-side team. <laughs> Top scorer, weren't you? Not that you're showing off. Of course it was. Of course it was. Every season. but uh, And Millwall has still sort of got an outside chance, but they're they're a long way off but their fixture list is very very kind they've got five of the bottom 10 still to play and they've played a lot of the the sort of the top 10 recently and either won or drawn against most of them if not all of them so 
I think it's probably a long shot, but if if there is going to be a team this year that comes from nowhere and suddenly ends up in the last playoff place, it's going to be Millwall. But yeah. I think it's a long shot. I, I Forest, I think, though, are the last one we're not mentioned. They're just flying at the moment. Yeah. Absolutely flying. The big issue with Forest is that they fancy themselves in any game they go into because they just score so many goals. You know, they're not, don't get me wrong, they're not Fulham with Mitrovic up front, but they just fancy themselves to win 3-2, you know, if it comes to it. They they just don't stop going forward. And what's their fixture list like between now and the end of the season, Forest? They've got the most games of anyone. They've got nine games to, to play over the next five weeks. They've got to fit in a game against Middlesbrough as well, which is big, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they've, they've got Coventry in midweek and their remaining fixes also include... Luton away, Fulham away, Bournemouth away. So they've got some tough games in there, but you know, again, we've talked about how Fulham and Bournemouth might already be up by the time certain teams play them. So, yeah, I, I just think the form that they're in. You mentioned their goals; their goal difference as well is significant for me. They've got plus twenty-one, um, which is easily the best outside the top two. You know, the next best is Luton with with positive fourteen. Mm. So they're miles ahead on goal difference, which could you know it's looking more and more like that's going to be a factor so if i was sort of a betting man and had won 102 pound 50 on harry toffolo at 40 to 1 on friday evening then i think i'd be looking at huddersfield luton forest and i'm sort of on the fence between borough and sheffield united but at the moment i'd go borough would be my playoffs i think how about you i think luton i think borough because i just Every time I look at Barrow, I just think Chris Wilder, he, and mm. he's a good manager. You know, he's a really yeah. good manager. And I look at Chris Wilder at Barrow and think, all right, well, if he don't get them up this season, he's definitely going to get them up next season. He's just that type of manager. I I think Town will be in there, but I don't I, I don't think it'll be comfortable. I I think it I could don't think go they're going to come third. No, yeah. I I think it could go all the way to the final day. In truth, um, and uh, yeah, I. Forest's fixture list is is the thing that is the only is the thing that stops you from just automatically looking at them and saying they're definitely going to be in there. I I don't know. I don't know. I, and I I still think Sheffield United should should come good. So I just I just don't know. I'm not sitting on the fence, but I'm going to say I don't know. Having brought <laughs> up the having started this by saying should we stick our neck out and make some predictions well we now? should probably predict we should probably make a prediction for the next three games for town as well shouldn't we and I, I won't sit on the fence there I, I think it's a really tough set of fixtures and I, I wouldn't be surprised if I mean four points I think would be a really good yeah I agree. really good take from them and I think they can do that I I like one of the one of the drawn games at home, but really they've got to look at the the QPR game as the one they need to target for the win. Really, I think yeah. they're the one you can be a bit more expansive in and maybe play that four four two you were talking about or the four four three you were lobbying mm. for. Um, yeah, his I I think four points is achievable, um, yeah. and anything over that is is a massive bonus and very very welcome. Five is huge, to be honest. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Weirdly, I was thinking about this over the weekend and I need to run the scenarios on it to see if I'm actually talking out my rear end on this. But I feel like there is a scenario where five points is better for them than six because you're then making sure you've taken points off three. You've taken points off all three if you get five, whereas if you get six, then you've you've dropped points to, to one of them. So, you know, one of them's beaten you. So I need to crunch the numbers on that and see if that's absolute 
bobbins or not as 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 with this next uh statement i'm going to make which is i think luton is probably the more losable of the three because i think i think luton are going to finish in the playoffs no matter what i mean this is just where i'm coming from with it but i think luton are going to finish in the playoffs no matter what i think borough and qpr though they hang in the balance a lot more so again it's Mm. it's at this point i'm almost thinking you don't need to worry about what the other three teams in the top six are doing it's what the teams in seven eighth ninth are doing it's mm-hmm. it's the is the issue but you know obviously it's better to, to win the games against any of them regardless so to me i think don't lose at borough you know a draw at borough i think is a brilliant result uh really really good result i think because mm-hmm. they've been so strong at home this year and they are one of that sort of that more sort of chasing pack although they do have that game in hand on luton I, I think the other side of it is, though, that they have to put in three half-decent performances. So even even if you lose, say you lose two of the three, they have to come out of it with some sort of momentum. What they can't afford to do is, like, lose two of them badly, you know, like yeah. lose two of them 3-0, because that will really pop the balloon and have everybody looking over their shoulders and suddenly, like, that Coventry away game suddenly feels like really, really massive um so we'll we'll see we'll see but i think yeah serious club beats qpr don't they that's that's the yeah, thing I think that's so. the thing um but with the caveat we don't know what state qpr are going to be by the time that game comes around <laughs> yeah it's true so yeah I, I agree i think four points is is good particularly if one of those points comes at, at middlesbrough and even yeah. better if three of them come at middlesbrough um and and five is really good because as I say I think they probably need nine points and if they can get more than halfway there with the three hardest games and then they've got you know we're not taking those last three games for granted by the way (laughs) you know um, Barnsley Coventry and um, and and Bristol City but uh, you know I think you obviously need to get through these first three first Um, Mm. and if they can get more than halfway there from those those three games then I think in truth they're probably actually more than halfway there really yeah they, they've got to cope with the pressure as well because obviously they're televised throughout. Yeah. The pick hasn't been made for the, the weekend of the commentary game. That doesn't get made until the 9th, I think, month or so, a week on the day of this recording. So there is quite feasibly a world where that is a TV game as well. And that brings pressure. And as we know, funny kickoff times do funny things to, to teams. I, I think the Luton game, I know exactly what you're saying about it being more losable, but it's also the game that they have 11 days preparation for. Yeah. That's, that's the thing. It, it, it's the game they have an awful lot of time to tactically plan and work towards. I know they'll be working towards all three already in the training sessions, etc. They don't just go, as soon as one game's finished, right, we better train for the next one. But, you know, it it is the game where they've had all this time to get ready for it. It's evident. When we asked Carlos Corbrand for a direct sort of answer on it about the games being moved, he said he'd preferred not to give his opinion. But it's obvious that he's, you know, it's very, very apparent from everything else he says he doesn't like the games being moved forward. No. Uh, the, the QPR, the, the QPR game was obviously already the Friday, but uh, but the Luton game being pushed back to the Monday means they've got the only three days in between the games. At least they're both at home, to be fair, um, and then. The Barnsley game the following week after Borough is also been moved to the Friday night, which mm. isn't ideal. So, but you know they've got to deal with it. You know that as Carlos Corbran says, success. yeah, as Carlos Corbran said, you know it's 
even if he preferred not to give his opinion on it, and we know what his opinion is on it, I think mm-hmm. um, it, it's sort of irrelevant. It's done now, and they've got to to deal with it and cope with it as as best they can. Mm. Yes, interesting times, interesting season, defining defining times ahead. I think. Yeah, if I can give a quick plug as well, if you want to hear Terry Toffolo or not hear, but read Terry Toffolo talk Terry about Toffolo. the Im- Terry Toffolo. Yeah, if you want to read Harry Toffolo, give his thoughts on the effects of playing those games on a quick turnaround, as well as Saw Thomas on the differences from non-league football in a sort of a fitness and nutrition sense. Matty Pearson as an established player talking about it. Uh, and Lee Nichols about how his massive weight loss, really, when you look at the pictures of him, has helped him and helped his game. I wrote a piece on for, that went out Friday morning uh, where we talked to all of those players about the fitness and nutrition side of things. I think it got a little bit lost in the club accounts, but it is still on the website. You search Huddersfield Town Fitness Revolution, it'll come up, and I would encourage you to read it because uh, I think it was a decent piece and maybe deserved to be read a bit more than it was, and I don't bring that up very often on this podcast. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, Dave, have you got anything to plug? Uh, no, I, but I would I would say in the spirit of things, I would say if you want to actually read that discussion about referees versus VAR, etc., uh, the piece went up on Sunday morning and I can't remember what it was called. I can't remember what the headline... We don't write the headline, so I can't remember what the headline was. But it was something about Huddersfield Town wanting to talk about. David, it was Huddersfield Town will hope their form will write headlines rather than championship officials. Yeah, so if you if you want to read a bit more nuanced uh, discussion of that where I go into it a bit more, I think it's worth having a read of that. There you go. David... Thank you for your time this afternoon. Listeners, thank you for your time listening to it. We'll see you next time on Need to Be a Terrier. Goodbye. Did I really call him Terry Toffolo? Yeah, you did, yeah.